John 15, verse 1. <clears throat> I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you? No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfil what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, 
so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first, because I was with you. Amen. May God bless his word today and the preaching of it. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Can we uh, pray before we uh, look at uh, God's word? Let's uh, bow in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We pray that as we uh, open it up now, that you would help us to understand what it uh, means for us. And we pray that uh, we would not only have understanding, but that we would also be willing to be obedient to your word, to allow it to uh, dwell in us and to transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I watched that movie, The Social Network. Have you seen it? Well, it'll give you a different perspective on Facebook uh, if you do see it. It's it's a movie actually about Facebook. How about that, hey? And I've got to tell you, I knew that there were some pros and cons about social networking signs, but that uh, movie certainly highlighted some of the cons uh, of it. But um, I think I've said this before, but it's worth saying again that uh, there are some really good things that I appreciate about the uh, social networking sites and one of them is the opportunity to reconnect with friends who I haven't seen for or heard of for many years, Uh, especially old friends who used to encourage me as a Christian uh, even 20, even 30 years ago, people who were in uh, Bible study group, in church and I've not seen them for that length of time but I've been able to reconnect with them. And I get excited about that because it's really encouraging to see that after all of these years that they are still trusting in Jesus, that they are still active in church, that they are still uh, serving God. I get excited about that because I tell you why, it's not the case with all of my friends. I don't know about you, but for me, over the years, I've had friends from church who have kind of slipped away Christianly. Have you experienced that with people that you've known? Um, friends of mine who uh, have drifted away from Jesus and have drifted away from the gospel. Now, what are the, the things which cause that? Well, for some of my friends, it's been just sheer materialism getting caught up in their careers and money and buying more things and better things. Uh, Sometimes it's been because they've gone and they've married a non-Christian person who has uh, uh, lured them away from Christ. Um, Sometimes it's been false doctrine that they've gotten along to certain churches where they've been teaching doctrines that appeal to people's... um, uh, materialism and uh, and greed and so over time Jesus has no longer been central to their lives it's been uh, what they can get out of the Christian life sometimes it's been unrepented adultery that has caused them to slip away or disappointment uh, maybe they've been they've faced some challenging issues in life and that had been difficult at the time, and rather than over time falling into the loving arms of God, they've come to the conclusion that uh, God has let them down. 
Sometimes they've been involved in church conflict where they've became, become bitter and they've sort of slipped away from things. I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons, aren't there, as to, as to why people can drift spiritually over time. The question I want to talk about today is how can we make sure that we don't? Uh, how can we make sure that uh, 10, 20, 30, 40, uh, depending on how old you are now, 50 or 60 years down the track, that you are still a person who is trusting in Jesus, uh, that you're still active in church and that you're flourishing and being fruitful as a Christian. How can we be like that? Uh, this was a very important issue for Jesus to raise with his disciples, especially uh, in John chapter 15, uh, which you might like to have open, because Jesus was about to go to the cross. And Jesus knew that his disciples were about to face some very, very severe challenges to their faith in the days ahead. And so as they celebrated the very last Passover, because it was the last Passover, Jesus said that from then on, as they ate that meal, they should do so in remembrance of him. And we're going to do that a little bit later on in our service. But as they celebrated that last Passover together, it was time for Jesus to prepare his disciples. Now, um, Jesus uh, was the master communicator. And in John chapter 15, verses 1 through to 8, he paints a picture. It's a picture of a vine and its branches. Uh, that's a picture that I can relate to. Things tend to grow pretty well in Port Macquarie, don't they? When I first moved in, someone said to me, life in Port Macquarie is constant tips with your trailer out to the tip to get rid of vegetation that's grown up in your backyard. And we had to do that because... Years earlier, when we'd moved into our, before we moved into our place, someone had planted a vine. Uh, we got this swimming pool fence, and it's got all, it's got many, 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 many bars. And they'd planted this vine with the idea that the vine would grow and twist and wind its way around every one of those bars, and eventually create this, you know, beautiful vine rather than a fence. Well, it certainly did that. Uh, it also twisted and wound its way up the poles that uh, hold the back of our house in place. Uh, it twisted and wound its way uh, around the beams that hold our back deck uh, in place. And I tell you, by the time I cut through all of the jungle, and that's what it was, I finally found the, uh, the trunk. I finally found that, that small uh, part of the vine that was actually buried in the ground, in the soil. That, that, that trunk, which was the source of life for, for, for the whole thing. Now, that's the picture that uh, uh, Jesus has in one sense. Because in verse 1, Jesus describes himself as being the vine. Uh, this was a common picture that was used to describe Israel. Uh, in the Old Testament, Israel was sometimes referred to as God's vine. Um, by the way, 
I don't know what the vine was that was in my backyard, but what kind of vine do you think Jesus had in mind here? And what kind of vine do you think Israel uh, was, was used to represent Israel? What sort of vine do you think it was? It was a grapevine. A grapevine, of course. In fact, the grapevine became the national symbol of Israel. In the period between the Old and the New Testaments, there was a a time called the, the, the period of the Maccabeans. And during the period of the Maccabeans, uh, they, uh, they produced their own coins, and on their coins, they had a grapevine because it was like their national emblem. It represented Israel. They were God's grapevine. But Jesus was the true vine in verse 1. And in verse 5, the followers of Jesus are referred to as the branches, or uh, Australian gardeners, we'd just call them the shoots. We are the shoots which grow from the vine, from the trunk of the vine. And so that's the picture. Jesus has painted a picture of a grapevine. Now, of course, the only reason that a farmer plants a grapevine is because the farmer wants to produce grapes. He wants fruit from his grapevine. And in verses 1 through to 8, this vine has two types of branches. There are branches which do not produce fruit. There are branches which do produce fruit. In verse 1, how is God the Father described? He is the gardener. What will the gardener do with branches which do not produce fruit? What will he do with them? Cut them off. In verse 2, he will cut off those branches that do not produce fruit. In verse 6, they will be thrown into the fire and they will be burnt. This is a picture of judgment. There will be judgment upon those branches which do not produce fruit. There are some people who say, oh, Jesus never talks about judgment. Of course he does. Here he does. They will be thrown into the fire. They will be burnt. But what about those branches which do produce fruit? Well, if you have a look in verse 2, the gardener, God the Father, prunes those branches so that they will become more fruitful. Now, I don't do enough pruning around my garden. Come out and have a look at that. You'll see that that's true. I understand that if you trim the plant of the, uh, the growth at the end of the, the plant, then that will make new growth happen a whole lot more easily. And I guess if plants could feel, they'd probably tell us that pruning is painful for them but it's beneficial it produces more fruit and this would be a very important truth for the disciples to grasp hold of because in 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 verse 18 right through to chapter 16 verse 4 where our reading ended this morning in that slab of scripture Jesus has a warning for his disciples and the warning is this, that they would soon suffer. 
they would soon suffer persecution. Let me just read to you a few of those verses from verse 16, chapter 16, 1 to 4. He says, All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. But now he won't be with them. They need to know what's going to happen. And Jesus does not want them to go astray. He doesn't want them slipping away from faith. In the face of persecution, the disciples would be tempted. Uh, they would be tempted to think that God doesn't care for them. They might be tempted to think that maybe they're not, not, they're not on the right side after all. They may be tempted to think that it's actually not worth standing up for Jesus. They would be tempted to drift away from Christ. What Jesus is saying here, though, is that when people hate you because of who you stand for, they hate you because darkness hates light. Because what does light do to the darkness? Well, it exposes the darkness, doesn't it? It exposes sin. And when you expose people's sin, you're going to get a mixed reaction, aren't you? Um, think about um, what it's like when you uh, talk to your non-Christian colleagues at work and friends about who Jesus is. I'm assuming that you'll mention Jesus sometimes in your conversations with non-Christians. And what happens if you say to people, well, I actually believe that Jesus is the only way to God and that all other religions are false? You're going to get a mixed reaction, aren't you? Now, some people will be interested and curious about that, but other people may even get angry with you for being so arrogant, so narrow-minded. Well, what about when you take a stand for some of the things that our society is embracing, but yet God stands opposed to? For example, when you speak about God's view on sexual immorality, or God's view on homosexual marriage, that's a big issue at the moment, isn't it? Or uh, God's view on abortion. Uh, you're not always going to be popular. In fact, there will be people who will oppose you. Some may even become angry. But the message here is that when that happens, don't take it personally. Because guess what? If Jesus was there at that time, if Jesus was saying the same things to those same people, then they would reject him as well. So they only hate you because they reject Jesus, because they reject God. And so that's why he says in verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. But more than that, when God allows us to suffer in the name of Christ, he hasn't deserted us. What he's doing is he is, in fact, pruning us. 
One of the leaders in the early church in the latter part of the 2nd century AD, in the earlier part of the 3rd century AD, was a man by the name of Tertullian. And uh, one of the things Tertullian is best known for is a, is a quote uh, that, that he said. And he said this, he said, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now, the martyrdom that he was talking about was, is far more severe than anything else, that, anything that you and I are likely to experience. But the principle is the same, and it's this, that when God allows us to stand up for Jesus and to suffer for it, he's actually giving us a gift. He's giving us an opportunity to be pruned, an opportunity to be more fruitful, an opportunity to inspire other people to also stand firm for Christ. And when people stand firm for Christ, guess what, guess what happens? The gospel flourishes. The church grows. Now, friends, in verses 1 to 8, the only way that a branch can produce fruit is if it remains connected to the vine. You think to yourself, well, that's kind of stating the obvious, isn't it? But there's an important point that Jesus is making here. And the point is that if we are to be fruitful, Christianly fruitful, spiritually fruitful, we must remain connected to Jesus. Uh, we, without Jesus, we can't do it. And more than that, the evidence that a person is connected with Jesus is fruit. If there's no fruit, then that's a sure sign that the person's not connected. Uh, Jesus himself says, by their fruit you shall know them. Uh, verse 4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. To remain in Jesus means to be connected to him. And uh, if you have a look in verse 7, uh, if we are like branch, a branch that's connected to the vine, uh, we will be people who are nourished by Jesus. He will be nourishing us through his word, which will dwell within us. And we will be people of prayer. And when we pray, our prayers will be shaped by the word of God. Our prayers will be shaped by the will of God. And if our desire is to be more fruitful in the Christian life, then guess what we're going to be praying for? More fruit. And if we pray for more fruitfulness, then God is going to answer that prayer in the affirmative because it is his will. But it begs the question then, how do we remain connected to Jesus? And that, I think, is what verses 9 through to 17 uh, are all about. Uh, let me just uh, point you to verses 9 to 11, where Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. 
just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that your joy, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Right? To remain in Jesus is to remain in his, what does it say? In his love. That's what it means to remain in Jesus. How do you remain in Jesus' love? It is by obeying his commands. And so what is it that Jesus commands? Verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. That's his command. Now, in the Bible, there are different uh, words to describe love because there, love is a multifaceted thing, isn't it? Uh, there are different uh, perspectives on love. There are different types of love. Uh, there is a type of love which is an emotional feeling kind of love, and uh, that can be a good thing. Uh, the word for that in the Greek is the word phileo. I've written that for you on your sheets there. It's the word phileo. Uh, that's found its way into the English language with um, place names like Philadelphia, which means the city of brotherly love. Right? That's the word phileo. It's a feeling kind of love. and But sometimes it's used to describe the kind of love that worldly people have for each other. Uh, you see it, for example, in verse 19, uh, where it says that um, uh, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. But you don't love the world, so the world is not going to love you as its own. That's the phileo kind of love. Uh, another type of love is agape love. And that is the kind of love where you sacrifice yourself for the sake of the person who, the person whom you love or the people who you love. It is a self-giving, sacrificial, it is a doing kind of love. And it's the word which is used in verse 12 and also in verse 13. In verse 13, where uh, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's agape love. It's a giving, sacrificial love. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Now, Jesus was about to lay down his life for his enemies as well. Uh, but here, in this context, the men he's talking to are his friends, and he would lay down his life for them. So what's Jesus saying? If we are to remain in the vine, we must bear fruit. What is that fruit? It is the willingness to love and serve each other in the same way that Jesus has loved us. How did Jesus love us? He gave up his life to pay for our sins. Now, what do you think it means to be fruitful as a Christian? 
i think fruitfulness can be seen in various different ways it's it's easy to think of the person who is very busy in ministry and if we're able to be busy in ministry then we should be not everyone's able to be busy in ministry because they're they're lying in bed sick some of our church members lie in bed sick permanently right but they're actually very fruitful in ministry because Fruitfulness in ministry is not necessarily just equated to being busy with activity. Uh, I want to encourage you to be busy in ministry, uh, but there is a uh, where, where that is uh, a balanced thing to, to be doing. You've got to have, have the whole picture of life in balance. But there is something much deeper that Jesus is talking about here. And what he's talking about is that fruitfulness, which is the fruitfulness of character, I wonder if you might turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 for a moment. This is a great passage on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And on page 826, if, if you can go down to verse 22, let me read you just a few verses from Galatians 5. From verse 19 onwards, Paul talks about what is essentially the fruit of the sinful nature. He calls it the acts of the sinful nature. These are the things which you don't want. But in verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, topping the list here is love. And again, the word that is used here is is agape. It is that self-giving, sacrificial love. It is that love whereby we die. It is that love whereby we crucify not just not our bodies, but our sinful nature. Uh, in verses 19 to 21, we are to put to death things such as sexual immorality and idolatry and hatred and discord and jealousy and selfish ambition. All of those things which damage other people and in the life of the church can be very, very damaging to, to, a, to a whole church. These are the things which actually damage our relationship with God and in fact can cut us, cut us off from God. Now, that seems a serious thing to say, but I say that because in verse 21, Paul warns the Galatians that if they live like that, then they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Just like the unfruitful branch that the gardener cuts off and throws into the fire and it is burnt. Uh, During this week, I had to warn somebody about this. Uh, Not one of you, by the way. (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't use an illustration about anyone in the church. Um, But uh, let me... 
this has been very much on my mind because I've had to apply this passage in a pastoral situation. An anonymous person uh, sent an email to myself and to over 150 Presbyterian church leaders in New South Wales. The email contained scathing criticisms of a Presbyterian ministry which is led by very godly men. I was concerned. I was concerned about the hurt which that email had caused for the leaders of that particular ministry. Imagine if someone sent an email around to the Christian community of Port Macquarie with a whole set of scathing attacks on our church. Imagine that, anonymously. I was concerned uh, about the damage to that, that particular ministry because reputations are important, aren't they? And someone only has to say something which is negative or critical and it, uh, that grows and people develop a negative disposition towards that ministry. And so I wrote back privately to the person. I just hit the you know, return message uh, button. I don't know who I was writing to, but I wrote back privately to the person because I was concerned uh, not just about the people who they were hurting, not just about the reputation of that ministry, but I was concerned for them. I was concerned for his or her relationship with God. I don't know this story. Uh, they may have experienced some hurt or some disappointment through that ministry. I don't know. Uh, they may have valid criticisms. I'm not sure. Uh, no ministry is perfect. But to respond by publicly and anonymously maligning fellow Christians is not to display the fruit that God is seeking. Is that right? That's not the sort of fruit that God's after, is it? And you can see that uh, if a person continues down that path uh, without repentance, then they'll become even more bitter. They'll become even more alienated. They'll alienate more people. And indeed, because there is not the fruit of love there and joy and peace, they will imperil their relationship with God because they seem to have forgotten that Jesus died for their sins as well. And that the basis of being Christian is that of forgiveness. And God wants us to be reconciled not only to himself, but to each other as well. And he wants the love and the unity that comes from treating one another in the same way that Christ has treated us. And that's hard sometimes, isn't it? It doesn't come easily to our sinful natures, but that's what putting to death is all about. That's what giving up ourselves for the sake of others means because of Christ and because of what he's done for us we too need to crucify our sinful natures and in practical terms 
it means that when we experience challenges and disappointments, maybe even from other Christians, that we won't respond with anger and bitterness. Instead, because that's easy, isn't it? That's the easy path. That just goes with the flow of our sinful natures. But the tougher choice is the choice of kindness, gentleness and self-control. Against these things there is no law. And we will see that what we're going through is God pruning us. Because as we respond to God's pruning in that way, then our character changes. Uh, The character of kindness and gentleness and self-control will over time become something which is more a part of who we are, the people that we are. We will grow, we will flourish, and we will be more fruitful. Why will we be more fruitful? Because God is honoured through us and we will become a model. We will become the type of people that others will look to and say, hey, I can see God in that person. I want to become like that person. I want to be like that. It's like as Paul says uh, from time to time, follow me as I follow Christ. Now let me uh, wrap this up. Uh, In John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says to his disciples, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Complete joy. That's what he's talking about here. And as I think of the uh, issues that have caused my friends to drift away from Christ, materialism, ungodly relationships, false doctrines that pander to greed, bitterness. These are things which lure us away from Christ. These are things which, in one sense, promise that, hey, this is, you know, you're going to get true satisfaction if you live like this. This is where true joy is to be found. But that's a lie from hell. Uh, because Satan does not want us to value what Jesus has done and he doesn't want us to live in the way that Jesus lived. He doesn't want us to exercise that agape, self-giving love which crucifies a sinful nature for the sake of the other person. But when we value the love of Jesus, when we love each other in that same way, then we're not going to look for joy in the things of the world, are we? our joy will be complete in knowing that we are connected to the one who is our very creator. We will remain in the vine producing fruit. Now, chances are that uh, not all of us here are going to live in Port Macquarie for the rest of our lives. Sad to say. That's especially true of our Uh, those of us who are younger and who might be uh, finishing school and heading off to the city to go to university or to take up jobs and so on. And uh, for others amongst us who from time to time will have to leave because of uh, jobs, Sue and Gary, 
You're leaving us in two weeks' time, are you? Is it two weeks' time? Yep, about two weeks' time. So uh, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. We're going to have a farewell for Sue and Gary. Special morning tea here. Are you guys on Facebook? No. <laughs> uh, well, you see, you know, you know, and we, we say goodbye to our friends from time to time. And uh, the congregation we have now is not the same congregation we had five years ago and it won't be the same congregation in five, ten years from now either. And over time we may lose touch with each other for various reasons. Won't it be great? Won't it be great in 20 or in 30 years' time when Gary and Sue finally get onto Facebook or whatever social networking, whatever's happening in those... Wouldn't it be great if uh, in 20, 30 years from now that uh, those of us who have not stayed in Port Macquarie indefinitely, if we're able to reconnect with each other, and as we do, that we're able to say, hey, it's great to see that you're still trusting in Jesus. Great to see that you're still pressing on. Great to see that you're committed to your church, loving God and bearing fruit after all these years. Won't that be great? And that's what we should be aiming for ourselves. Let's stick to Christ. Let's stay connected to the vine and let's love each other in the way that Christ has loved us. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for Christ who is the vine. We thank you that as we are shoots from the vine that we draw the nutrients of his word. We pray that as we ask for more fruitfulness that you indeed as a loving gardener will prune us. Sometimes that will be painful. But we pray that we would see those things that happen in our life as being a gift from you. That uh, like the disciples in Acts when they were called before the Sanhedrin and they were told to stop talking about Jesus and they walked out and they, they praised you uh, because you considered them worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. We pray that we too would continue in him, that we would love each other, that we would bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.